In these tough economic times, with the government passing bills to bail out huge corporations, who's watching out for the average person? Well, we have the answer, and it's our very own bailout bill. Hi, and welcome to NPR's Planet Money. I'm David Kastenbaum. And I'm Laura Conaway. Today is Wednesday, February 4th. On today's podcast, we are going in search of an economist who really, really likes the stimulus plan. And we're going to come up a little bit short, I'll just tell you. But first, we have our Planet Money indicator. The indicator, David, is one and a half. That's one and a half billion. No. (laughs) (laughs) It's always billion. No, it's one and a half billion. Hours. That is how long a New York City bike messenger will stop delivering on a snowy day to stand in line for 50 bucks. Uh, is this those people who were actually handing out $50 bills for free? Yes. We heard about this on Twitter. Someone on Tuesday came across the Twitter stream with this thing about bailoutbooth.com. They said that bailoutbooth.com had this long line of people down in Times Square. They were queuing up for 50 bucks. And the, the idea is that like the government's been giving out money here, but none of it's gotten to you, so we're going to give you money. That's right. You go down and you tell your story to bail out Bill, which <laughs> I think is kind of cute. Anyway, we found bike messenger Albert Bassano and his new $50 bill. You know, I say I figured I'd stand in line. Would you believe it? 5.30 this morning, my cable just went dead over me. And I went, when my coworker told me, oh, they're giving out $50 or more, $50 or more, I said, you know something? I can do with that $50 put on my cable bill. <laughs> By the way, the reason Albert's cable went out it is because he didn't pay the bill. Wait, this doesn't make any sense. I mean, you can't just give out money. How do they make money? Well, you can, and it's a promotion for the website. I guess that day they had a total of 50000 to give out, and I, I think see. today they're down there giving 50, out— 50000 bucks. Yeah, 50000 bucks. I know. What are we doing sitting here, right? Anyway, the website does say that it is offering classified advertising for a new generation. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> um, well, to the folks at bailoutbooth.com, as best I can tell, it means you pay something like $10 a month, a little less, to post video of you selling your stuff. Now, the thing is, Bailout Booth is also offering small loans. It's very new. The site got registered on December 17th by a company called True9. And that's, that, that just inspires confidence. Doesn't True it? Nine. That is yeah. a website company, a design company. We met a guy, Chris Milnes, down in Times Square. He's the owner of True9. He says he's not the owner of Bailout Booth. Anyway, we went ahead and asked Chris to explain what Bailout Booth is. It is a website that helps you sell your things and gives you a little loan against what you're going to sell tomorrow. It gives you dollars today for what you're going to sell tomorrow. That's what the promotion is. And today the event is giving away money to let people know about this uh, website. What's the interest rate on the dollars today? Uh, I really couldn't tell you. It's if You have two weeks for free to pay it back. If you sell your item within two weeks, there is no, there's no interest rate at all. It's a straight, you got 100 bucks, you get 100 bucks, you give 100 bucks back. Uh, after that, I, I don't know what the rate is, but it's all listed on the website uh, before you do it and all that. So basically, it's sort of an internet pawn shop. Yes, very much like that, yeah. And uh, I think it got spurred on because of the, the times. The, the idea came very quickly. It's, all, it's only been in, uh, in production for two months. Normally something like this might be in production for a year and a half, but uh, with the economic downturn, uh, the person that, that started this website said, I, I got to do this uh, really quickly and turned it around quickly, and we just 
picked up, you know, our, our bootstraps and, and made it happen really, really fast. So, you know, David, their business model, I got to say, it's, it's about as clear as he makes it right there. As far as I can tell, you start with this idea that's kind of like an internet pawn shop started by an anonymous benefactor with a heart of gold. You pay for advertising. They give you a loan based on the thing you're trying to sell. And I get conflicting answers. If you don't pay the money back in a couple of weeks, the PR guy I talked to today, another person said there's no interest ever. (laughs) You know, I I think it is nice to see, uh, even in this difficult environment, we have innovative new businesses starting up even if we have no idea what the heck they're doing. That's right. If you're looking for the big bucks, not the 50 bucks, but the 50 billion bucks, you should probably head to the government booth in Washington. They're the ones giving away billions of dollars. Right. The stimulus package, it is definitely not cheap. According to the latest estimates from the Congressional Budget Office, the federal deficit for 2009 is going to be over a trillion dollars. I talked to Kent Smetters. He's a professor at the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. That's their business school. Uh, He used to work at the Congressional Budget Office. And I asked him, what do you think it was like to be there when they crunched those numbers? It would be just absolutely mind-boggling to have calculated these numbers. I can't imagine the first analyst who crunched through the first wave of these numbers and added them all up together and said, whoa, <laughs> this is a, we're not talking billions anymore. This is a different adjective. We're talking trillions, and it's the uh, whole, whole new language. In fact, had we not spent trillions of dollars already on uh, bailing out banks and so forth, I think people would just be shocked at the deficit number this large. But uh, we've just totally changed people's mindset, I think, in terms of uh, the, the unit of currency. <laughs> we're, we're, we're now able to actually use the T word instead of the B word without uh, any, any type of flinching. It's, his, it's a historic document, I think. It's probably nothing <laughs> it, like it, any of the ones you worked on, right? Right. It's very depressing to, to think that before the, the stimulus package, which is currently in the House, um, is implemented. Uh, we're already talking about a baseline deficit of $1.2 trillion. Now, add the $825 billion or however it comes out to, um, stimulus pack- package on that, we're talking about a, over a $2 trillion deficit. This is not debt that's that just past deficits. We're just talking about the additional increase in debt this year of over $2 trillion. And by the way, that number is actually half of the true number that you would get if the government correctly accounted for its long-term liabilities the way a private company would. And in particular, we're going to add another $2 trillion in deficits on top of that in, in present value shortfalls accumulated this year alone in both Social Security and Medicare. So if the government um, did its accounting the way a, a company did its accounting, it would report the deficit this year of over $4 trillion, which is just huge. And there's a lot of debate about you know, how much of a deficit is bad. Uh, where do you stand? Certainly in short periods of time during recessions and during um, you know, crises, it makes sense to have a fairly flexible budget, which means that you're going to naturally have some deficits. Normally, you know, I would be okay with a stimulus package that 
really try to encourage firms to reinvest, to create jobs, to um, get more capital and so forth. I'm afraid of this current stimulus package because where is the money going? The money's going to um, infrastructure, roads, and things that we spend hundreds of billions of dollars on already every year. I'm not convinced the the, the federal government's going to do a better job than the private sector of kind of getting that right. When the Congressional Budget Office produces these numbers, what actually goes into that? I mean, is there one central computer model that everyone comes over and enters data? How's it actually like, <laughs> physically? How does it how does it actually work? Sure. Basically, the process is a pretty good one. What happens is that one division, the macroeconomic division, kind of takes a, a, a broad look at the economy. And it's, it, it basically does a forecast of major macroeconomic variables, GDP, as well as different uh, major groups that get taxed in, in order to help uh, estimate tax revenue. And then with those big macro forecasts, they then get distributed to the different divisions and inside those divisions to different units because each unit controls and uh, estimates a different part of the budget. And they use those inputs to figure out their particular category. And sometimes they do the loop again. Given that feed, uh, given those numbers, they may go back to the macro guys, the kind of the big picture guys, and say, do you want to adjust your big macro forecast now? And so there's sometimes some iteration that goes on, but for the most part, it really starts at the 30,000 feet level and works its way down. And uh, are they in a separate building? I don't even know the answer to that. Sure. They're in the Ford office building. And second D Street Southwest, <laughs> they are uh, off on their own, and they um, are walking distance to the capital, but still a comfortable distance from the capital in terms of political influence. And it's a bunch of cubicles with how many? How many people? What's the staff? You know, uh, it's probably about two hundred now, and um, there's uh, there's some cubicles, but you know, most lots of these are PhD economists, and, and so they will get their own little office, and so it's just a question of whether or not you have a window. That's that's the prestige factor. <laughs> Is bean counter a slur? It, it, it's not only a slur; it's it's, it's certainly very inaccurate. And what's <laughs> what's actually pretty amazing is the Congressional Budget Office actually employs some of the most sophistic, sophisticated computation models that exist out there. In fact, um, some my PhD students who do high-end, basically applied mathematics go to the CBO and they help build these rather sophisticated models. And those models are actually being used as part of their forecasts as well as their policy um, uh, making decisions. Are there instances where you would tweak some little parameter and, and the whole economy goes goes wild? Typically, no. That's usually a sign of a bad model because we don't really see that type of chaos theory in in actual economies. Um, it, so, but it is true. There's a lot of debate about what we call the deep parameters, like how how adverse to risk are various households. The deep much, parameters, they're called, huh? Yes, it, it, yes. It sounds very cosmological, but yes. <laughs> The, the deep parameters of a model. So given, given those uncertainties, though, how seriously should we take their prediction that, for instance, you know, the deficit's going to be uh, $1.2 trillion or Well, and they certainly could be off, but they could be off in either direction. Um, but the fact of the matter is they have a pretty good track record, in fact, a much better track record of the other side of government. That's the federal side, the the, in particular, Office of Management and Budget. Office of Management and Budget 
typically produces very rosy scenarios because they're held hostage to the president. And so if you look at the track record of the CBO, which is a nonpartisan congressional agency, versus the Office of Management of Budget, which is ex explicitly a partisan agency beholden to the president, um, the CBO has a much better track record. And so I think we should take these estimates quite seriously. Do you play the Office of Management and Budget in softball? <laughs> I do not. And it, but does the uh, CBO? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a good question. I don't, I, I don't know if anybody in either office could actually swing a bat very well. But uh, we certainly used to get together and talk assumptions, those deep cosmological parameters. And, and, but, um, no, I don't know if any of us were, were that great at sports. All right. Thanks to Ken Smetters, Professor at Wharton, for that. I don't know if we could field a baseball team out of our staff. No, we don't have enough. Even if we had enough. We could I have like think. a ping pong team. Yeah, I don't think we'd be any good. With a deep bench. Yes. Yeah, speaking of the stimulus package, we've had a lot of people on this podcast and people we've talked to who haven't made it on this podcast who've said the stimulus package isn't a good idea. It isn't the right package, even if they think the stimulus as a general idea is good, not this particular bundle of stuff to stimulate the economy. So we've been looking for someone, anyone, who does support the stimulus idea and also thinks this particular package is good. Right. So Adam thought of the great Keynesian economist Steve Fazari. Uh, he's a professor of economics at Washington University. And you may remember he was one of our uh, our boxers in this imaginary uh Economist boxing we're not match taking we that up. up. Boxing, we're not doing. We're not doing boxing. Um, but Adam thought, you know, if there's anybody who supports uh, the stimulus package, it's got to be Steve Fazari. So Adam and I called him to ask him what he thinks of it. I'm a, a little disappointed. Uh, it looks more like a kind of a standard uh, grab bag of, of lots of different things. Part of that reflects the political realities of. of this is maybe the way that you know, Congress does these kinds of things. Uh, this is a stimulus bill crafted by Democrats. If it were crafted by Republicans, we'd probably have uh, a, a different set of things, but also a grab bag of their favorite tax cuts and, and things like that. So maybe we were hoping for a little bit more of a transformative time in this country. But uh, it's, it's really too early to say. Let's, let's see what happens. But more broadly, I'm concerned about two aspects of the plan. Uh, and I might characterize them as, as um, size and speed. Uh, so on the size issue, it sounds like a, a big number, uh, $800 billion and growing. Uh, but the, the hole that we have in is we see consumption falling off the table. So we're talking about, will consumption fall 3 4 5%? Uh, so we're talking about a, a big hole that has to be filled. And then now business investment is falling off as well. Uh, we're worried about the export markets as the rest of the world slacks. The, the hole that has to be filled here is is really big. And so even though these numbers sound huge in absolute terms relative to the size of the economy, uh, I worry that this may not be large enough, Another, in part because it's spread out over time. But also, when you look at, at what a lot of this is, say, say extending unemployment benefits or uh, helping people to keep their health insurance after they're laid off, these things are worthy uh, extensions of the safety net, necessary extensions of the safety net, so I strongly support them. But to the extent that this is just keeping things where they are, it's not really stimulus. It's preventing things from getting worse. 
so you would the bill that you, that would clearly get your vote would be one that had more money and and faster spending. Right. The, and and getting things into the in the pipeline fast is a real challenge. And I don't want to be overly critical of this bill because it's not fast enough. Because I don't how how fast can you go? I think this starts to raise questions about ultimately how effective, as a practical matter, uh, government spending can be as as massive stimulus. Uh, to the extent these things are useful to do on their own, of course we should do them. It's a better time to do them when we have all these slack resources, uh, so they won't crowd out as much private activity. They may crowd out very little private activity, uh, so that's all good, but it might not be enough to, to solve the problems we're facing right now. Uh, in, in particular, I might actually support uh, a kind of tax cut program if it's a Keynesian tax cut, if it's a tax cut designed to get money in the pockets of those people who would spend it, which would mean it should be a lower class, a middle class tax cut primarily. And can you explain that? What's a Keynesian tax cut? A Keynesian tax cut is a tax cut that stimulates spending, consumption spending in particular. So uh, that means uh, getting into the pockets of people who will actually uh, use it to to buy goods and services and bring resources into use that otherwise would be unemployed. And my understanding is you don't target the poor with a Keynesian tax cut because you happen to like the poor or you think they deserve it more, simply because if you give poor people a dollar, they're more likely to spend that dollar than rich people because rich people already have enough money to get the things they want. Poor people don't. Yeah, that's that's right. The objective is to get money back into that spending stream, to give businesses the motivation to employ resources that are sitting idle because they're not selling enough. So you, That's why you need people to buy. In some sense, not so much because buying is per se good, but sales is the motivation for business to produce and employ workers. And and when you say speed, do you, do you mean like 2009? Do you mean 2012? Like what, what counts as fast? The sooner the better. Uh, so uh, I was hoping that we'd see more in 2009 than it appears to be the case. Uh, that said, the economic problem is significant enough that I think we're going to need stimulus in 2010 as well. So I don't think that the fact that a program can't get off the ground for 12 months is by itself a reason not to do it. But the, there's got to be a benefit for things that we can do more quickly relative to things that will take years in the planning process. doesn't mean we shouldn't do those things, but the, the stimulus impact is going to be greater for the things that we can get off the ground very quickly. I, see, I mean, i got to say, this conversation, I'll just be honest, is, is kind of dispiriting for me, and I'll Sorry. tell you why. I mean, I think I, like, like most of our listeners, most, most Americans, I'm just trying to figure out, like, are, do our leaders have our best interests at heart? Are they messing this whole thing up, or are they rising to the occasion? And when I knew I was going to talk to Steve Fasari, proud Keynesian economist, <laughs> I, I've been talking to people who are very skeptical of the stimulus all day, to economists who say this is a joke, this is an outrage, this is a disgrace. And I, was, I just had in my head, oh, but then I'll talk to Steve Fasari, and he'll explain to me why it's actually a pretty good idea. I feel like your most optimistic pro-stimulus argument is it's pretty lousy. They put a lot of politics in it, but it might be worse, better than nothing. What can I tell you? No, no need to apologize. We're just saying, you know, we expected to go to you and you would say, well, it doesn't really matter how much you spend it. The important thing is just to spend a lot of money and we're spending a lot of money. And, uh, you know, it ends up in people's pockets somewhere and that will encourage them to spend. Yeah, I, I think that's true. In, in particular, I, I mean, <laughs> that, that if, if, you get, if you get money into people's pockets, then 
one of, let me take a little bit different approach on this. So one of the uh, criticisms is, well, the government doesn't know how to spend money. Uh, we should let people make their own decisions about how to spend money. But once you get money into people's pockets, they will make their own decisions. If you get un unemployed workers who now have a paycheck, they're going to decide what's in their best interest to spend, and they're going to they're going to find ways to uh, uh, to meet their needs that they weren't able to do before, and that will raise their welfare. It will raise the sales of the businesses they buy things from, uh, and that's uh, a net benefit for society that we're not going to get if we sit on our hands. Steve, let me, let me ask you about that, though, because one way in which the stimulus package is often framed is that it's going to create jobs, millions of jobs. So where where do we need jobs now? Well, if you look, you know, Detroit has over 10 percent unemployment. There are a lot of Wall Street guys that are unemployed. But when you look at the stimulus package, it's not actually hiring the people in Detroit specifically. In fact, I don't know if any of them are going to get jobs as a result. You know, they make cars, right? The Wall Street guys are not directly at least going to get jobs. Um, so, you know, is, is, the, is the package creating jobs or, or is it only create jobs sort of hopefully indirectly by putting money out there and hoping spending will increase? I think actually we have to learn, uh, take something from the free market perspective and trust the market to some extent. So suppose that, w that we decide, and it seems to me that it would be a good idea, that we should uh, put a major effort into uh, getting Americans' medical records in electronic databases that will make our health care more efficient and more effective. Uh, so we start, we, we uh, find companies who are going to be good at that. Uh, they're IT companies, but, and, and they're, they're ramping up their activities. Probably those companies are seeing some slack right now. Their business is probably falling off to some extent. Uh, but they also will say, now we have more business, so let's go see who we need to find. And, and they need management skill, and there's management skill that's being released from the financial sector. Uh, they'll find a way to, to you know, find the best people who are out of work. And, and then they, they, they buy cars. Uh, and, and, they, and they may buy, and they may buy more cars, and it'll help the auto industry. Uh, they may go out to eat more often once they have a steady income. How do we know all that works? Industry. How do we? I mean, I, I could connect another set of dots. How do we know what you just laid out there works? Well, we've seen, uh, in one sense, we've seen a huge consumption boom uh, over the last 25 years. That's spending. Let's let's be clear about that, uh, which led to. Uh, falling unemployment, and towards the late 1990s, even uh, a bit of a narrowing of inequality in this country. Uh, so spending does seem to be effective at stimulating the economy. Uh, in, in wartime, uh, it's not a good example. We don't want wars, but there's a big increase in spending, and the result is that we produce what we need to fight the war. Uh, so I think the evidence is out there that when demand rises, production rises in ways to, to meet that demand. I do want to point out, Laura, that Fazari sent us a long email afterwards saying, look, he does he does support it in principle. It's just um, I called them back and I got the sense it's like, you know, when you're you're a kid and you see something on TV, you really want like a remote control car and then you actually get it and you're like, oh, mm -hmm. it's not it's not it's not really as great as it looked on the commercial. <laughs> I think that's the way they, you know, they, they in theory, they're like, yes, yes, we need a stimulus package. And then they see this thing and they're like, oh. I want one it. that does wheelies. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That does it for today. I'm Laura Conaway. And I'm David Kestenbaum. Thanks for listening. <laughs>